Thanks for joining us. We are in the book of Genesis, chapter 9. You can turn there. Unless you have a red Jeep Cherokee, then go turn the lights off on your car. Red Jeep Cherokee, your lights are on. We'll pray in a second. When everyone's eyes are closed, you can leave. Genesis chapter 9. Chapter 9 of Genesis. We're going to read the first 17 verses of chapter 9. And then we're going to launch off from there and kind of walk through the next couple chapters as we finish this story and look on towards the rest of the Bible. Genesis 9. Then God blessed Noah and his sons. This is after they came off of the ark. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky on every creature that moves along the ground and in the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for you and your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from every human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the cloud, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all life on the earth. Let's pray, and then we'll talk about Genesis 9. Father, we picture Noah coming out of the ark and looking forward to new horizons as you send him out into all the earth to make your name great. And we pray that you would include us in that mission. We want to be sent out to the ends of the earth to make your name great, to tell the story of Jesus and his death and resurrection. We know that we have a covenant with you, a new covenant in baptism and in communion and in the blood of Jesus. We have this covenant where you are with us forever to the very end of the age. And we pray that you would use us to transform this dark world with your light. Not because we are great, but because you are. We pray that you would help us to see the world through your eyes tonight. Help us to see ourselves and to see you accurately. And to become passionate about the mission, the covenant that you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell me if this ever happens to you. Sunday night, 613, worship's happening, the message is going on, and then worship again, and then communion, and you start to feel like, man, I really need to get back on track with God. 
I feel like I've drifted this week. I feel like I've done my own thing this week. I feel like I've just kind of forgotten about Jesus this week. Or I totally screwed things up this week, whatever it is. Tomorrow it's going to be different. Tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up early. How many of you are already thinking, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to read the Bible. That's what I'm doing tomorrow. I gotta admit, like every week I'm thinking that. Not because I've done some heinous thing every single week, but there's something about understanding the truths of Scripture and the reality about God that makes us think, man, I need to dive into this. And today before 6.13, I went out and I was praying and I went up to Lake Chabot and kind of looked over all of Castro Valley and all that. And I was just filled with awe and thought, I, I really need to devote more of my life to moments like this to getting away, to sitting with the Lord, to seeking his face, to understanding his will, to praying that he would change the hearts of people. I, I need to devote myself to that end. And some of you this week have gotten into something that you didn't want to get into. And driving home at the end of the night or waking up and the next morning, you thought, man, I need to make some changes. Tomorrow is going to be different. I'm not going to do what I did last night, tomorrow night. Next weekend is going to be different. I'm looking forward to the future, and I want God to use me. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, I, I want God to do something big through me. And so the past is gone, and the future is coming. I'm walking into my future, and it all changes now. And I'm in my future now, and now things will be good. I had a picture Noah walking through that mentality in Genesis 9 as he comes out of the ark. Because God starts revealing to Noah that he has huge, immense plans for Noah and his family. And Noah, I know you've gone through a lot of rough stuff these last few months. You've been bobbing in the ocean and all that kind of stuff. But there is a new dawn approaching. A new day is here. And, and I want to use you, Noah, you and your family. You're going to walk out of this ark, and I want you to rule over this earth. All those animals you had to live with in that ark, you are mastering over them. You are going to steward this earth, and I want you to rule kind of like me on this earth, and I want you to take care of the animals, and you can eat them if you want to, but just don't like strangle them and take the blood out, that kind of thing. But you can eat the animals, and you can use and rule over the animals, and, and over people too. I want you to steward this earth because I want to use you to make a mighty nation through you and your offspring. I want you to fill and expand and, and take over this whole earth, Noah. It starts with you. You, Noah, you. And if God said that to you, you'd be like, yeah, I'm doing this. God's going to use me to do something big. He says, Noah, I, I'm going to create a covenant with you. I, I want to create a relationship with you where I, I'm not going to judge the earth again. Next time it rains, I know people are going to start running for their lives, but look up at the sky, there's a rainbow. That means uh, I'm not going to kill you. It's just rain. Don't worry about it. Noah, I'm not going to destroy the earth again. This time it's going to stick, Noah. I want you to take over the earth and I will be with you always. Noah, I, I will be your God. Be my people. Take over the earth. There's a lot of exhilaration that comes in that. Some of us have had those prayer moments or those Bible reading times or those times in a church service We thought, you know what, I'm changing my life. I'm changing myself. I'm changing my circumstances. I'm going to tell everyone about Jesus. I'm going to go to Thanksgiving and I'm just going to stand up and I'm going to preach to my family, right? I'm telling everyone. I'm not going to lie ever again. I'm not going to look at that stuff anymore. I'm not going to drink that stuff anymore. I'm not going to get caught in those situations anymore. My past is gone. The future is fresh. And I'm going to take it by storm because I have a covenant with God. And he's going to be with me. And I have power in that. And I'm going to change the world. And I'm not screwing up again. Yeah. I mean, we really want to believe that. We really want to change. 
and we really want things to be different this time, and, and, and we really don't want to get caught in that same stuff again, and so we just tell ourselves, never again, that was the last time. And then we do it again. And some of us get filled with this guilt, especially because some, some of us have kind of come to Christ and we've said, you know, I'm going to give up alcohol. I'm a Christian now. I'm done with, with alcoholism. I'm done with drinking. Never going to touch a drop again. And so it's kind of like that Alcoholics Anonymous thing where the days start stacking up. I'm, I'm 30 days sober. I'm 60 days sober. I'm 90 days sober. I'm 120 days sober. And then all of a sudden there's pressure there because you realize if you ever screw up again, you're just back at day zero, Right? It's like that in our faith. If we say, God, I'm, I've changed, and, and then we haven't changed, what does that mean? What does it mean if we told God, I'm never going to touch that stuff, or look at that stuff, or say that stuff, or act like that, or lose my temper, or hit that person again, and then we do it again? What does that mean about us? What does that mean about him? Does that mean we're a failure? Noah hears this grand vision from the Lord and hears about this covenant that God is making with him. And, and you watch Noah kind of walk out of the ark and you kind of feel like it's going to be one of those Western movie things where Noah just kind of walks off into the sunset and starts a brave new world. But right after God says this, we get a glimpse into the life of Noah that maybe reminds you of you. If you've read ahead, I didn't mean that personally. So God makes this covenant with Noah, and then his kids who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Cain, and these were the three sons of Noah, and they, from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. And here's the next thing we hear about Noah. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his brothers outside, but Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. They walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so they would not see Noah naked or their father naked. Then when Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his younger son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves he will be to his brother. And it starts escalating from there. Noah walks off of the ark and God makes a covenant with him and says, Go fill this great earth for my glory. And the first thing we see that he does is he plants a vineyard that takes some time. So it's not the first thing he did. The grapes grow, he makes some wine, he lets it ferment, that takes some time. And then the next thing we see Noah do is he drinks it, gets drunk, ends up naked somehow, and then falls asleep, passes out drunk in his tent. Our hero, Noah. 800-year-old Noah or whatever is. Uh, drunk and naked in his tent. And, and then his son Ham comes in and sees him and, he <laughs> goes and tells the brother, you see, Dad, he's taking it there. Go look at him. They're like, no, him, no. And they cover him up with this little blanket, like looking the other way. They cover him up. And then Noah wakes up, and he's like furious, like, hey, what happened to me? Why am I naked? They're like, well, you got drunk last night. You ended up naked. The ham looked at you, and then he told us. And But well, we covered you up. He's like, oh, ham. He goes and says, ham, cursed be you. Right? And it escalates, and he's screaming at him, and he curses his son, ham, and says, for the rest of time, you will be a slave to your brothers, and you will wander this earth. It's like, Whoa, how did all this happen? You ever had a day where you woke up and you said, today's going to be different, I'm going to serve the Lord today, but then by like three o'clock, you're like, what am I doing? You're screaming at people, you're swearing under your breath, you're caught in traffic, right? You sit down to read your Bible in the morning and you like get your cup of coffee and then your kids start talking, you're like, shut up, I'm reading the Bible, right? 
crazy how we can go from like being so good to being so bad at a moment's notice? Maybe it's just me. When we see Noah with this great future, and then all of a sudden he's naked and drunk and cursing his own kids, like a verse later. And we kind of turn the page to see, okay, then what happened to Noah? How did he come back? He died. That's the next thing you hear about Noah. He lived some, long, some more years, and then he died. You think, this is the hero? This was the man where God said, I'm going to save the world through you. I'm going to pluck you out of the world with your kids. I'm going to destroy everything, and I'm going to put you back on the world, and you're going to change this place. And then, glug, 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 whoa, it's gone. That's Noah. I'm sorry for that visual. That was not good. That was not good. That was not good. And on one hand, we can kind of get that because we do that. We understand that. It makes Noah relatable. Not all of that stuff, but some of that stuff. It makes Noah relatable because we are people who go from like 100 to zero in an instant. And and we make good decisions one weekend and then we make bad decisions the next weekend. We say, I'm not going to do this again. And then we're doing it tomorrow. And we go home, we're crying on the way home. Like, how did I do that again? I, I, I said last night the same prayer and the night before the same prayer and the night before the same prayer. Why does this keep happening to me? And we feel that. And so we know that. But with Noah, it's hard because when you read the story of Noah, you think, wasn't he supposed to fix this place? Wasn't Noah supposed to be the righteous man that God used to create a new reality for humankind? I mean, the most devastating thing about the Noah story is that the world is still messed up at the end. We talked the first week that the Noah story is almost like God as the oncologist, saying that this cancer is swept throughout all the earth and, and it needs to be dealt with severely. And so he takes out Noah like a stem cell or something, a clean, uh, undifferentiated cell, and then he chemotherapies the whole world and then he sticks Noah back in and says okay now go take over this body of the world and and now the world is pure through Noah and then all of a sudden you find out that the cancer is back that's 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 a big deal if you've ever had a loved one who's gone through that and they go through all those different kind of treatments and then at the end of it the doctor says hey it's still here that's so devastating And that's what we feel like spiritually when we read the Noah story is that we were hoping that this crazy plan of killing everything and starting over was going to work. But in the first instant, sin's back. This passage reminds us that sin is deeply embedded inside of us. Those times in your life when you felt like, you know what, I I just need to stop sinning. And then you sin again. You think, I thought I was going to stop doing that. It's in there deep. I think Noah was a righteous man. Obviously, he was not a perfect man. But what we learn in the story is that sin is in Noah's DNA. It's deep within him. And it just, it comes out. That's what sin does. And so when you say, God, I'm never going to do this again, that's a bold claim because you might do it again. And even though it's devastating when it happens... It happens. As much as we think that Noah's thing wasn't a big deal, when you read that story, it it doesn't seem like that big a deal. I mean, Noah got drunk, that's a big deal, but people get drunk. Noah got naked, that's weird, but (laughs) honestly, in the book of Genesis, weirder stuff happens when people are drunk and naked than that. Weirder stuff. Noah didn't sleep with any of his kids. Noah didn't sleep with any of his kids' wives. It doesn't seem like that. Ham comes in, he just like looks at him. 
right? People throughout the ages have read this story and said, okay, what did Ham do to Noah that made him so mad? He must have, like, violated him or assaulted him or, like, drew a face with Sharpie on his stomach or something. Like, what did Ham do to Noah? Because Noah wakes up furious, and, and all that we see is that, I mean, you could read it in the Bible. It says, he got drunk, Ham saw his father naked, and told his brothers, I've got little kids at home, and I've never gotten drunk and fallen naked in my home or anything like that, whatever, but... If any of my children ever catch a glimpse of me in that, in not the drunk, but the naked condition. I was trying not to say me naked, but in the naked condition, they go and tell their brothers. That's what they do. I come out of the shower and I hear, I'm like, oh, great. Who's here, right? And all of a sudden, there are th like three or four boys looking around the corner. I'm like, why do you want to look at me? You're so weird. Go away. Go away. Go away. That's what brothers do. That's what kids do. And, and his kids were way older than that, so that's kind of creepy, but... Ham didn't do anything terrible. Noah got drunk. He didn't murder anybody. He didn't sleep with anybody. Ham just looked at him and told his brother. And then Noah gets furious and starts cursing him. The devastating thing is not what Noah did. It's that sin is still there. And maybe Ham did something to Noah that we don't know about. I think it's just Noah is realizing when he's waking up that this curse of sin is still here on this earth. Because really, this isn't Ham's fault. Ham didn't get drunk and pass out naked. He just happened to see no one thought it was funny. But if you've ever done something stupid and someone laughed at you, you found a way to blame them. And that's what Noah does to him. And, and he curses him. And he says, Shem, you are going to rule over your brother Ham. Ham, you're going you're gonna to be a slave to your brother forever and ever and ever. And he sets this trajectory up of sin that starts to permeate his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids. If you read Genesis chapter 10 through the lineage of these different children, Ham's lineage is like, it's like the mob or something. Like it's just name after name that you recognize. And you know, Where do I recognize that from? You recognize all of Ham's kids and grandkids because they are all of the enemies of God's people throughout all of the Old Testament. Even the first time Ham was described as Ham, the father of Canaan. Remember the Canaanites? The book of Judges and how God's people were coming, or the book of Joshua, how God's people were coming in and destroying all the Canaanites and all the Ites, the Amalekites and the Balaites and the Ites and the Ites and the Ites and the Ites and the Ites. They're all from Ham. They're Ham's grandkids, the Canaanites. And all these people are coming out of Ham and that curse when Noah says, ah, you, you are a sinner and you will be a slave to your brother. And now Ham gives birth to Canaan and the Canaanites are born. One of Ham's children, a great-great-grandchildren, is named Nimrod. And, and Moses, it's a funny name, uh, Nimrod. <laughs> you guys messed me up over there. Nimrod. Uh, that's his real name. I'm going to double check. His name was Nimrod. And uh, Nimrod was a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And then Nimrod was a guy who went around and established kingdoms. Tell me if you... Well, tell me silently. If you realize that these kingdoms are significant, uh, the centers of his kingdom were in Babylon, Uruk, I don't know what that means, Akkad, like Akkadian, Cana and Shinar. He went to Assyria. He built Nineveh. Remember these cities? These cities are cities that people didn't like in the Old Testament. Nimrod was the father of the Babylonians. Nimrod was the father of the Akkadians. Nimrod was the father of the Syrians. Nimrod was a father of the Ninevites. And all of these people, all of these kingdoms were kingdoms that were going after and destroying God's people from like Exodus all the way to the book of Malachi. Even Egypt is in there. 
think, is that the same Egypt? I don't know. I didn't look that one up. But all of these different places are all in Ham's line that when Noah curses his son and he says, you are a sinner, sin is still here, all of a sudden his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren become the enemies of God's people. And all of the tension you see and the anger you see and the animosity that you see throughout all of the Old Testament can all be traced back to Ham. Sin is here. It's funny, we get surprised when Noah falls and sin's still on the earth, but you live in this earth. You know that sin is still here. But we wish Noah would have done better. What if Noah wouldn't have blown up at his kids? What if Noah wouldn't have gotten drunk? What if Noah would have been a, a good guy after all? Maybe the world would be different. But we know that it's not really about Noah. Now, sin's in us. And Noah's not the reason that you snapped at your kids this afternoon. Noah's not the reason you can't kick that habit. Noah's not the reason you keep doing the same thing over and over again. Noah's not the reason that you can't drag yourself out of bed in the morning and, and read the Bible. You can't remember to pray. Noah's not the reason that when you go to bed you think, I haven't thought about God all day. What's wrong with me? That's not Noah's fault. That's sin's fault. And what we see in the Noah story is that sin is still alive and well in this world. And it spreads throughout all the earth. And the saddest thing for me is reading this passage where God tells Noah to go and bring his kingdom around all the earth. But we see through the descendants of Ham that sin's reign starts to creep and poison every corner of the globe. Start to wonder what the point is of the flood. (laughs) What's the significance of the Noah story? Why, Why is it that you read the story and you feel like nothing's changing, nothing's the, everything's the same. The beginning of the story and the end of the story, it's sin all over the world. The only difference after the Noah story is God says, I'll never destroy the earth again. So before the Noah story, at least you thought, well, if sin gets too bad, God will squash the place. But after the Noah story, God says, I'm not going to destroy you by water ever again. And then you see sin start to creep and you think, oh no, now what's going to happen? In Genesis 11, we see what starts to happen. God's people start turning evil pretty quickly. And and on the way towards where they ended up, they stopped in this town that was later called Babel. And they started building this tower. And these people said, let's make our name great. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build this tower to the heavens. And some people, that they go back and they read that story, they think that these people are saying, let's build a tower so high that even if God floods the earth, we'll be safe in our tower. Let's defy God in that way. And so they build and they build and they build and they start building this gigantic tower like hundreds of miles around going straight up in the air building a tower to the heavens and it says that God looks down at the earth and he says, no, 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 no. And in a really weird sentence in scripture, God says, I'll tell you. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And it sounds like God is saying, oh no, the humans are going to win we better go and squash the human beings again. But that's not the God of the Bible. He's not scared of people. Really what we see God doing in that moment is looking at humans and seeing that sin is beginning to reign. Sin is beginning to build a city. Sin is beginning to build a kingdom for itself. Sin is beginning to kind of 
come together and accumulate in one place and say, let's take over the world, let's make this our kingdom, and let's step foot here, and let's change the earth. And God's saying, no, that's not how it's going to work. God taking sin and taking sinful people and grabbing them and throwing them all over the place. It's almost like in my yard, we get gophers. These gophers have these mounds and the holes, and it's so annoying, right? And right now, there's this, like, mega colony of gophers, like, over in the corner of my lawn. And whenever I see a gopher hole, like, I don't think they're going to take over the whole earth or anything like that. But whenever I see that gopher hole, I just think, oh, if I don't stop these things, they're never going to end. They're going to take over my whole life. They're going to end in my backyard. They're going to eat my plants, right? And so I, I go and I, I deal with the gophers, right? I take their mounds and I kick them. I kick the mounds and I scatter them out. And then I watch. And I see if the gophers come back up again. If they come back up again, then I go and I take more drastic measures. I get the poison. I, I tried all that stuff. I can't kill my gophers. God's more powerful than me. But what God does with these people in the Tower of Babel is he sees that they're building this city. They're building this colony where all of sinful people in the middle of Babylon can set up a kingdom. And he says, no, 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 no. And he scatters them through all the earth. And he says, you're not going to build a city in your glory for your reign on this earth. This is my earth. And he scatters those people. And then what we see God doing is he grabs a guy named Abraham in the next chapter. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to make my name great. I want you to build a kingdom for me. I want you to bring my glory to the ends of the earth. And so he grabs Abraham out of one of those foreign cities. He says, I'm going to put you right here, and I'm going to set you up as a people, and they're going to build a mighty city, and that city's going to go out to the ends of the earth, and we're going to go and take those nations back. We're going to go to Babylon. We're going to go to Acadia. We're going to go to Assyria. We're going to go to Nineveh. And throughout the Old Testament, you see God sending people into all these different places and saying, I want you to go to Babylon. I want you to set up a city there and transform the place. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach there, and I want the people to repent. I want Jonah, I want you to go to the middle of Assyria, and I want the people to come to the Lord, and I'm going to take my people, I'm going to build them into a city, and then I'm going to send them out to take over the earth. Because God, after the Noah story, says, listen, it's going to be different this time. This is not going to be a world where sin reigns. Sin's power is going to be kept at bay. I'm going to squash sin's power, and I'm going to send my people out to transform this place. And so the thing that God called Noah to do to go into the world and transform it is still the same. God called Abraham and his descendants and his descendants to go into the world to the ends of the earth and bring the gospel to all nations. He told them to do that. Jesus tells us to go into all the world and bring the gospel to all nations, and yet Jesus talks about the same reality. He says, until the end of time, there's going to be sin that is over all the earth, and God's going to start planting seeds of righteousness in every patch of sin, and it's going to grow, and the sin's going to grow, and the righteousness is going to grow, and it's going to grow together until the harvest, and God's going to sort it all out, but I want you to go to the end of the earth because my kingdom is like a mustard seed that grows. My kingdom is like a little piece of leaven that kind of works throughout all of the batch. My kingdom is like this little good cancer cell that takes over the whole body. My kingdom is the smallest thing that works out and works out and works out over all the earth. After the Noah story, God says, sin is still here, but sin will not win. Sin's not going to build a city. Sin's not going to reign in this place. Sin's not going to rule the earth. Sin is present until the end of days. But my people, my people are going to go into all the world and they're going to transform this place. Noah, 
I, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Noah, I don't want you to go by murdering and all that. I want you to go in, in justice and in goodness, but Noah, I want you to go. And throughout all of Scripture, God is telling his people to go, to go, to go. Let the nations be glad. Send the people to the world. Go to the ends of the earth, Jesus says, and bring the gospel so that sin that's taken over the whole earth can be transformed by the name of Jesus and by the kingdom of God. At the end of the Bible, we see that God brings down this big city that reigns over the earth, a city of holiness and righteousness and justice. And this kingdom that God sets up is unstoppable. It's huge. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And it's complete and it's fulfilled. What we see in Genesis chapter 11 is God says, I'm not going to let any sinful city become the city of God. The city of God will be a city of beauty and justice and righteousness. And so for us as people, as God calls us to go to the ends of the earth, we need to realize that sin is still with us. That doesn't mean you should sin. You know that. But that does mean that when you sin, it's not because you did something wrong and like you missed the bus. You're not really a Christian or something. You sin because sin is deep within you. And so confess your sins. God is faithful and just. He'll forgive your sins. He'll, he'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then get back up and go after it again. Because at the end of the day, sin is not going to win. Sin's power is lessened. Sin is at bay because the king that reigns is not going to let sin win. So go out in freedom and storm this place and go after the kingdom of God and realize that sin is here. So be careful. Don't do something stupid. All that kind of stuff. But go after it. Don't let sin destroy you because Jesus has you in his hand. And that's why we take communion every week. To remember that our sin is cleansed. That we're forgiven. That because of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, that we are new people. And we don't have to worry about condemnation. We don't have to worry about sin destroying us. We, we realize we're in him and so we cling to him and we trust in him. And when we mess up, we confess to him and when we do well we stay humble because it's him right all those things that it's about jesus tonight as you take communion it's a time for you to wrestle with the sin in your own life and bring it to him not not to apologize and say god i'm going to do better next time just trust me i got this don't don't give up on me that that's not a good relationship with god a good relationship with god is is humble and says god i i'm sorry i do want to do better i realize i I have sin in me. I need to be careful, God. I, I pray that you would forgive me. God, I, I thank you that you give me more chances. I thank you that you'll never leave me. I thank you that you're working in me even when I don't feel like you are. And God, I, I pray that, that I would cooperate with your spirit and listen to you. and Give me the strength and the discipline to hear your voice and to respond, God. And thank you that your son died so that I can be forgiven. So I don't have to be beat up over my sin because Jesus was beat up for my sin. And then you can walk out of this room and say, you know what, God, I... I want to live for you tomorrow. I want to live for you tonight. I, I don't want to fall into that stuff again. God, I want to make some changes in my life. God, I, I want to change. But you have to understand the change is not because you are great all of a sudden or you are amazing all of a sudden or your sin has just disappeared all of a sudden. The changes happen as God works in your heart and works in your life as you cling to him. So tonight as we take communion, cling to him. If you're not a believer in Jesus, abstain from communion and spend this time to reflect on where you are with God. Maybe tonight's the night that you say, God, I have been walking in darkness my whole life and I need you. Come to him. Ask him to forgive your sins, to cleanse you from unrighteousness and to give you a new life, to bring you into his mission to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. 
And then come and take communion and celebrate that his blood on the cross and his body on the cross forgives us of our sin. Let's take some time and, and pray together as a community and reflect on where we're at and then sing together in worship as we take communion. Let's pray.